the nonprofit MBA purpose is to provide new business insights and fresh creative ideas for executive directors and their teams that will help them improve their organization. Here is your host, Stephen Holastic. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Holastic, and I'm co-founder and managing partner of Financing Solutions. Financing Solutions is the leading provider of lines of credit to small nonprofits throughout the United States. Our line of credit program is easy, inexpensive, and costs nothing until used, making it a great cash backup plan for your nonprofit. If you'd like to learn more about the program, please visit us at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. And if you decide to apply today, we will even give you a $250 credit on file. Or feel free to give us a call at 862-207-4118. Just remember the time to set up your line of credit is now, not when the emergency actually comes up. And on a more personal level, I can't tell you how many times I hear from clients who set up their line of credit, who thought that they would never use it, but thought it was a good idea, and then end up using it, usually it's to make payroll, and said, and then say, I'm very thankful that they hooked it up, uh, to they set it up. So, uh, you know, please consider it. Today, I'm very excited to be speaking with Sybil Ackerman Munson from do Your Good. Uh, Sybil is the president of Do Your Good LLC. Sybil has, has over 20 years of experience as a nonprofit, nonprofit professional and uh, foundation advisor, and she offers step-by-step guides into philanthropy and charitable giving through her online course and her Do You Good podcast. This September, Sybil is launching her Crack the Code course, a field guide to successful philanthropy. Sybil, welcome to today's Nonprofit MBA podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Stephen. I'm really, really excited to be here. I'm glad to have you here too. And today's topic, <laughs> how to identify and engage your donors and prospects is, you know, that's something that everybody is involved with, everybody is working on. Um, so I'm excited to hear from your experience, what, what you would add to this whole area. So to start off with, what do you think the biggest mistake is that people make when they're trying to engage their donors or prospects? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. I mean, and the first thing is, I just wanted to emphasize that um, what I do now, I used to work as a nonprofit person. And now what I do is I just work for donors. And so I actually get pitched every single day. Um, I probably talk with and process over 100 to 150 proposals a year, even, or sometimes even more. And so as I was doing all this work and helping, because I really care about charities and supporting charities and supporting people with wealth to support those charities. And um, that's why I created Do Your Good is so that I could help make those connections. And so your question is so perfect because it's exactly what I will live my life for, which is how can... Um, I and you and others support nonprofits to really access those donors. How can we be the supportive folks here? So um, I actually have five key steps that I suggest to nonprofits so that they can be an effective fundraiser. Um, and you asked for the most important one, maybe, and that's always that's a, tr a hard question to answer. But let's um, start with 
one of them that I think is the most important, and then maybe we could go to the other four. Does that work for you, Steve? Oh, sounds great. Like to do yeah, that? sure, sure. Okay, great. Okay, so the first one that's super important is to really be clear about the donor you're talking to. So I, in my years of experience working with donors, I see that there's three very distinct and different types of donors. One kind of donor is a sustainer donor. Another kind of donor is a campaigner donor. And a third kind of donor is a launcher donor. You will lose a campaigner donor at hello if you treat them like a sustainer donor. Okay, so this is the most important piece. And let's talk about those three first. And then I want to get into the other pieces of how you can be effective. But does, is that a good place to go, Stephen? Do you, yep. Would you like to chat about that? You got me at the edge of my seat. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, and the reason I created these three categories is when I started out as a funder, somebody who's helping people give money away, I had so many donors tell me, I have the right way to fund, Sybil. This is how you're supposed to do it. X, Y, Z. And then I had another donor t call me up and say, Sybil, I have the way you're supposed to give money away. It's this way. And it was completely opposite of the other way. Mm. And so I said, how the heck is any nonprofit person going to be able to access these folks if I'm getting confused and I even am supposed to help them? So that's why I created these three categories, because now I'm not confused anymore. Okay. So a sustainer donor is pretty much sort of your stereotypical donor, the kind of donor people think about when they think about a donor. It's somebody who falls in love with your nonprofit. They love what you do. They might be bird watchers. They might be hikers. They might love to be part of the outings you do. They might be on your board. They might go to all the annual meetings. They go to your nightly, like maybe not every night, but your workshops that you have in the evenings. They just love your group. And so they give to you year after year. They don't tend to micromanage too much. Um, if they want to get engaged, they'll be like on the board or on a committee, work with everybody, part of the team. Um, but a lot of times these kind of sustainer donors aren't even that engaged, but they just love the group. So they give year after year, they'll go on a few outings. And it's awesome. And so when you talk to a sustainer donor, you're really talking to them about your organization and what the priorities are. And it really is sort of more stereotypical. You're sort of saying, okay, let's, here's our annual meeting, please come, that kind of thing. Um, and that's wonderful. So sustainer donors sometimes are like, for a nonprofit, a gold standard, like you love to have a whole lot of sustainer donors. However, you also can really get a lot of funding and support from campaigner and launcher donors if you know how to access them. So a campaigner donor, the campaigner donor cares about a major issue and they're worried that a societal norm needs to change. Like they're really worried about something like climate change or houselessness, you name it, they're worried about it. And they feel like our current societal structures are not equipped to deal with this problem. And so they want to fund groups that are actively trying to change that societal norm to, to stop houselessness, for example, or to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. The thing you have to be okay with with a campaigner donor is as a nonprofit person, you have to be okay with the fact that that campaigner donor doesn't care about your group per se. They are not going to necessarily want to go to your annual meeting. They're not necessarily going to want to go on your hikes or your outings or <clears throat> your field trips or your workshops. 
What they're going to care about is how is your nonprofit directly dealing with the issue that they feel is the big deal. So you're going to want to make sure that you're clear with yourself and with that person you're talking to. Is that really what they care about? Like if you sit down with them over lunch and they're talking about this major issue they want to solve, dig into that. Because if your group is working on that, you have a great opportunity to raise money with them. But don't get upset if they don't seem to care about your group directly and and approach them from a problem solving, societal norm changing piece. That's a campaigner donor. A launcher donor is somebody who is really, really interested in, I I think of launcher donors uh, as the venture capitalists of the nonprofit world. They want to fill a gap. They're super excited about filling a gap. So if they talk to you as a nonprofit person, they say, "We, I care a lot about houselessness. I, I, I really worry about folks that are unhoused. And I feel like there's not any organization out there that's really moving the needle on this in a way I feel is needed. Like there's a big gap in research on houselessness that we need filled and you need to do this. And the nonprofit person, if you're talking, if the nonprofit person is talking to a launcher donor, it's okay that they want to fill a gap because in your world, whatever you know about, you're an expert in your world. There is going to be a gap in the issue you're working on. So you lean into that with that donor and say, yeah, there's this gap that needs to be filled. Can you help us fill it? And the donor might then get really excited and work with you to um, maybe either start a new organization that's like augmenting the work you're doing because you don't have the time to do it. Or you might want to be a fiscal sponsor of an an organization that can help fill that gap. And maybe that donor will give way more money than they ever thought they would have done if it was just sort of year after year funding as a sustainer funder. So those, that's the first sort of most important, um, I think, of the five points I wanted to bring up about how you can be a good, effective donor, uh, fundraiser. And uh, that's really key. So I should stop there first, see if you have any questions about that. And then let's go into some of the other pieces. So I, I two off the top of my head, uh, the first one is, does, does how much somebody, do people who are in the campaigner uh, model side, do they tend to be the, the bigger donors? I love your question. The answer is no. Mm-hmm. So um, if there's a person who, and, and, and I also have found that there's different definitions of what big means, right? So if you're a, f- a person who's giving very locally in your community, you can be a relatively large donor working on a special thing in your community that's trying to change a societal norm in your community and be big. Um, but again, let's just talk about the fact that it really doesn't matter the size of the donor per se, because what happens is if there's a person who sees there's an issue that they want to change and they generally care about that more, what you're going to do, you probably as you're the nonprofit leader have noticed that there's like a whole bunch of donors who are worried about that same thing. So you might have, and it's wonderful to have a mix of small and large donors that are all campaigner donors, because then you start identifying them all and then they all start working together and then they start getting more money for your cause because they're so excited. They're like X group is trying to change the societal norm and you bring up more and more folks. So 
On the one hand, you can see how a larger donor would be sort of a natural fit for this, because if they see there's a big change, then they actually can, can, can put in a whole bunch of money. But what I find is if you're a nonprofit person, you've got your eyes to a whole lot of folks who want to do that. And then you can bring them all in and raise even more money than you would have if you had just talked to them about your annual meeting, your outings and how great you are in general. Um, now, let's say I'm an executive director and I'm listening to what's, what you're saying. And I'm thinking to myself, uh, OK, does it does it help me to identify what the donor is in my CRM system or, you know, my Excel document when I keep a list of everybody, does it help me to, to try to categorize people, uh, you know, regardless of how I do that and when I do that, you know, from a operational standpoint, from a marketing standpoint, uh, from a fundraising standpoint, does it help to categorize those people into those three groups? Absolutely, 100%. I love that you're saying that. I can't tell you how many times. So I'm sort of a person who is a connector between nonprofits and donors, and I represent sustainer, campaigner, and launcher donors. And what I end up doing is spending a lot of time with nonprofits explaining how they could be a fit for the donor that I'm working with and how they can articulate their message. And um, that's why I created these three categories, because I would love it for nonprofits to be able to figure this through themselves. And if they had a special tag in their in their system that said, oh, I'm talking to Sybil, who's representing X donor and their campaigner donors, they would know exactly how to talk to me. And sometimes I talk to more than one person on in the organization. And so if the if a person A is talking to me one day, but then in another month or two, person B reaches out to me. It's much better to have them know, um, especially with staff turnover. Sometimes the fundraising department has staff turnover or even the executive director turnover. And it's um, it can be really helpful in the in any transition with staff too, if they have identified that really clearly. Do and I don't think they do it as much yet. Do you, I, I think I'm doing so much interpreting that I don't think it's happening yet. Yeah. That's why I'm sort of on my soapbox about this because I want to help folks. Yeah. So, so you you would fall uh, two questions. You would fall under the campaigner uh, uh, label. Would you say that's correct? I love you're asking that. I since I represent, I represent all different donors. I work for um, many many private family foundations and um, many many trustees. So some of the folks I work for are sustainer donors. Wow. And in that case, I help them more with administrative work because sustainer donors tend to be less really engaged in the day-to-day -day kind of how are we going to change societal norm work all the way to campaigner and launcher donors who say, Sybil, I worry about climate change. And I happen to be someone who's an expert in natural resource work and environmental work. So campaigner and launcher donors will hire me specifically to figure through those topics for them and make connections and make dockets for them and say, here's how you're going to move the needle if you care about electrifying the transportation sector or something like that. Um, so it's, it's, that's, why, um, that's why I came up with these categories, because I work for so many different folks all the time who are addressing and approaching issues in different ways. I would argue all of the three ways are effective. 
it's just that um, you need to be sure that 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 you're doing it in a way that is effective and that's clear. Yeah. What I'm just kind of curious, what level of donor would someone have to be before? I know it's a little bit off topic, but uh, what? How much? What would the level the donor have to be before they bring on someone like you? Well, um, I guess. I thought you were going to ask a different question, actually, which is, I mean, because from looking at the kind of work you do, which is so awesome and sort of helping people with line of credit and, and, and work with, it seems like small to medium sized nonprofits. It is. Um, I work with donors who are funding small and medium nonprofits mainly. Yep. So the, the donors I work with actually are smaller donors, quote unquote, again, I hate the word small and big because it's all relative. But they're donors who don't actually want to have the funds to necessarily hire a full-time executive director. Um, Or if they have a full-time executive director, they they want someone like me to help them with their program work because they really don't want to spend a ton of of funding on the internal work. They want to give most of it to their grants. And so my clients are um, in giveaway um, anywhere from about 500,000 a year to one to 2 million a year. And the grant sizes go everywhere from 5,000 to 50,000 to 100,000. 100,000 is a big grant for my clients. So, um, and my, my expertise is if these clients are interested in, for example, campaign funding or launching funding, I of course can do sustainer funding as well for them. But if they want to do that, my expertise is how can you be a campaigner funder, help move the needle or be a launcher funder with smaller grants? And there's a lot of key things to think about there. That's that I unpack a lot of that in like my podcasts and my courses, too. So how can you be effective? How can you like double or triple your grant if you have a smaller grant? And a lot of nonprofits are really good at articulating how a smaller donor can leverage their funds through campaign funding. And so that's why if you're clear as a nonprofit person about who you're talking to, you can really like leverage tons of money and help. And these donors can be super helpful there. Thanks for asking that question. So I think the the sustainer, campaigner and launcher uh, model, the way you explained it, um, you know, makes really complete sense. And what happens is I think what the confusion can be that, those three things, unless you don't, uh, unless you understand what they are. So I think, I think what you're doing as an executive director or as a fundraiser uh, executive is when I'll use the word, when, when someone comes in, you're kind of sizing them up. And so this, I hate to say it that way, but you're saying, okay, what, what really is this person concerned with? What, what really excites them? You know, and then you look at the characteristics that's inside of the sustainer, uh, uh, campaigner, um, and launcher, and 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 because this is such a simple formula, very effective, uh, you can put them into the, this speak, so to so to go, so to speak, um, but yet there's really uh, characteristics behind each one which people logically would ask themselves in plain English. Does that make sense to you? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it links to everything. So if you want to, if you're a nonprofit person, you want to do a webinar for donors, 
before you do that webinar, decide who are you going to ask to be on the, that webinar? Is it your donors that are sustain? You have all three in your mix, I'm sure. Is it is it donors that are sustainer donors? And if it is, then you do a very different kind of webinar than if you have a webinar with campaigner donors. With campaigner donors, you'd be very much more like, okay, we're going to do a webinar specifically on how to move the needle and change a societal norm on one of the issues we're working on. And then we know that like 30 of our donors care about this and let's just invite those 30. Um, or, you know, maybe a few more, but make sure that you, because you really can, and I've seen this happen many times where I literally have been on a webinar with my clients and some of them have loved it and others have called me up and been like, what was that, Sybil? <laughs> I was not interested because they were campaigner donors and the webinar was all focused on sustainer type donors, which was more just about how great the group is, which is important. That's great. But yeah, so I, I just, I feel like this could be helpful to the world, which is why I'm spending so much time and energy talking about it. And I also don't want to forget about the other four key things too, but this is just, I love that we're hovering over this more because the other four I think are fairly obvious to folks, but I like saying them out loud because at the same time, I've seen people not do them all the time. So I just wanted to bring them up. But yeah, so any more questions about that? The key piece, though, the sustainer. Yeah, let's container. do just one more question launcher. on the, the yeah, sustainer a container and launcher model, and that is: Do you uh, do you think that the person coming in, if you were to articulate it really well, rather you did it through the online application, the online donation form that they make, do you think that you should have them do the self assessment? I'm not sure that um, I'm not sure they need to do the self-assessment. What I was envisioning when you were asking the question before about if a nonprofit had, and I'm sure they most of them do because I've seen it when I worked in the nonprofit world, when if they have their own database of their donors and they have a special line item tag which says, is this donor more of a sustainer, campaigner, or launcher kind of donor? And then a little note from the people who've worked with these folks. Um, this is a campaigner donor all the way, and this is the issue they want to change, and this is the issue they care about. So when you talk to them, talk to them first about that. Um, or this is a sustainer donor. And probably, and I've seen it when I worked in the nonprofit world, people sort of do this intuitively in their database, but they don't structure it this way. And so when there's a changeover or different staff or other people that don't already know, it can really be rough. Um, even the current staff, they have, they're de dealing with so many donors that that um, if you if you don't act like you sort of know and remember and talk to the donor the wrong way once, you could really lose them in the future too. So to me, it's more of an internal structure with the nonprofits. Um, and with the donors themselves, they um, I'm on a soapbox too to try and support donors in being clear about what they are, because I don't think donors are clear either. I think that they sometimes think they're sustainer donors when actually they're campaigning. And that's really a problem for the nonprofits because they'll say, oh, we love you. We'll fund you year after year. But why aren't you doing this, 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 this? Mm. <laughs> nonprofits like, what the heck? You said you just love us. How can we like possibly help with both of those pieces? And it's really hard for them. And so on the donor side, I'm, I'm trying with this work to, to support the donors in, in doing this work and this exercise too on themselves. There's one client I work with that I love using as an example of a client that's done this really well. They were sustainer donors 
<clears throat> excuse me, they were sustainer donors all the way. They um, funded environmental groups and wonderful year after year had really great relationships with those groups. Nothing wrong with being a sustainer donor. They also started seeing key issues that they wanted to lean in on. And they felt like societal norms needed to change around climate change, for example, like action needed to happen faster, this family felt. And so they brought me on specifically, they created a separate fund and they called it a campaign fund. And they specifically have this fund to look for key things like electrifying the transportation sector or other things that groups may need extra campaign funding to help them. So they both do sustainer donating and donating and campaigner donating. And we can be really clear with the nonprofits. Like, look, you have year after year funding. You have a good relationship with the trustee. And here I am, Sybil, with a special campaign fund. You also tell me when there's something that you see that's a, that needs change, that major societal norm that needs changing, and you might need more money for that. So um, we have extra funds here for you to be able to do that. And so they've been um, working it that way, where they've been clear about those two things. Doesn't happen all the time, though. Good. All right, let's move on to the second one. Okay, great. Well, the second one is. Well, let me let me just give you the four yeah, high levels uh, so that folks know, and then we can no. we can get into them. Um, the The second one is to be relevant. So um, the the second one be relevant. Then the next one is be real. The next one after that is be empathetic, and the last is to be plentiful. So let's talk about each one high level. So being relevant is super important. And um, I think you've talked about this before in other podcasts, Stephen, which is the most important thing is track the news, track what's going on, um, which I know you do as a nonprofit person, if I'm talking to you, nonprofit person. But the thing that happens a lot of times um, as someone who gets pitched by nonprofits a lot is there might be some really important thing happening um, out there that's relevant to what your nonprofit's working on, you'll send a blast email or a blast web web you know thing out to everybody. It'll look very staged and it'll look really pretty. <clears throat> but the problem is I get so many of those emails that that the thing that really works is when I get a personalized email or a personalized reach out saying, Sybil, here's what our not you probably saw in the paper that this is happening right now, some really big deal. And our nonprofit is doing XYZ on this. And it's really a short email, but it's much more personal. It's straight to me. It makes me feel like I need to respond to you. And I know when there's the merge named ones, that's not what I'm talking about. Um, I'm talking about folks who are telling me this key thing that you did that's key as part of the key thing in the news. The reason this is so important, too, is the donors I work with are super smart and they're always reading things and noticing things in the news. And so they'll call me up and they'll say, hey, I just noticed this thing happened. What are our nonprofits doing on it? So I can just forward them immediately, the email you sent me, because it's personalized and, um, and it works so much better than the blast. So be relevant, really scan the news and take it really seriously. And then make sure you're reaching out to your donors. Don't assume that we've gotten all the information. We might just be reading the paper. So it's really, really helpful there. And the folks who do that raise so much more money from my clients and from, from the people I work with. I can also see how the opposite could hurt you too, where... If you're speaking to a, a, a donor and you don't show that you have any, a grasp of what the current thing is, events going on, whatever, they're like, uh, I don't know if I want to kind of work with this organization. Uh, they're not on top of the issues as much as I am. 
So I, I, I can see yeah. that. I mean, I'll, I'll give one suggestion that's that I think is very, very helpful for, I bet you yeah, many please, of you don't great. know, but there's something called Google Alerts. And um, yeah. and Google Alerts, all you, all you need to do is go to your browser and type in Google Alerts. And what Google Alerts does is allows you to put any type of keywords you want in. And on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, whatever you pick, um, it'll send you the top stories in that category. So um, it's it's a great way to stay on top of the of of a niche market where you you are you know it'll send you the email. It's not like you have to remember. Oh, let me check this month to see if anything's going on in this space. And you know it's really great because you can just read the headlines, and then if it's of interest to you, you click on the article and go from there. But I, I do that all the time and it's very, very effective. Like I'll give you an example. I have one set up for Boston University where my son goes to school. And every Friday I get a list of the top stories about Boston University and it allows me to stay on top of what's going on at my son's school. Um, so that like if, if there's an event coming up that I think he's going to like, you know, uh, I'll, I'll forward it to him. You know, and uh, awesome. yeah, yeah. So there's a good example of what you're talking about. Yep. Yeah. Thanks for the reminder about Google Alerts. They're great. And another thing you had me think about with this is it's not just about the news that might be positive. Also, if there's news that's challenging, or maybe even you were trying something and it didn't work, um, to send a per- your client your your donors a personal email. Oh, this didn't work this time, but this is why really much better than having the donor read it in the paper and then make their own assumptions wow. about what's going on yeah. and talking about what's next. It takes a little more time um, and it might not be right for every single donor, but I think if you have campaigner and launcher donors, those are the ones you really want to lean into on this stuff. Yeah. You know, there's, um, those are the ones that are paying the most attention to that kind of thing. There's a, there's a golden rule in business that that is, it's the 80, 20 rule and the 80, 20 rule it, is, yeah. you know, uh, let's say, let's make it very exact that 80% of your, your donations come from 20% of your donors. So I could see where the communication that you have on a customized basis, I don't even know if it could be 20%. You might only be able to do that with five, the 5%, the 90, you know, 90, you can't do that with 95% of your donors, depending on how big your donor base is. You, you can only do that with 5%. But I agree with you where you could say is, you know, treating these 5% people differently um, with customized messages based on what I know what's going on in the industry could be highly effective and really affect the bottom line of your donations that are going from there. Yeah. And and it's really important. But I have to tell you, just thinking about it for me, um, and I told you I process 100, 150, sometimes 200 applications and talked with almost that many nonprofits a year, I probably get personalized emails that are relevant and important. I'd say about five of the people who I work with, who I um, support, do that effectively. Yeah. So that's telling you something, right? That's why I wanted to bring it up because it's it's just so important and not enough people really do it well. Yep. Um, and if they if you do it well, I think it's really beneficial. So that's the first thing. Uh, well, the second, actually, the second one. Okay, so let's do. There's three more, three more fun ones. Okay, the first, the 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 third one is to be real, and this one also probably feels fairly obvious, but I can't tell you how many times it hasn't worked well for nonprofits. 
don't treat the donor like a transaction. Don't come to them and say, here's my laundry list of things. What do you think you might fund? Now, of course, it's like, oh my God, I can imagine, because when I was a nonprofit person, I'm putting myself in the nonprofit's shoes going, what the heck, Sybil? Man, you know, we aren't mind readers. <laughs> We're going to have to ask. So how do you do that? How do you ask in a way that doesn't make the donor feel like a transaction? And the people that do it super well are the ones that ask the donor's advice first and have it as a conversation and talk to them like people and maybe invite them to a training or a webinar or something that's linked to the kind of donor they are. Um, get to know them a little bit. Don't just sort of hit them right away with like, here are the three things I might do. Which one would you fund? Um, and the other reason that that doesn't work is a lot of times when you're talking to a person of wealth, they may not just be writing checks alone. They'll be writing checks with their partner. Um, if they have a foundation, there's probably two or three other people or maybe even more on their board. Um, so they also are navigating personalities. So they can't, and, and they're sensitive personalities. They're not going to tell you, oh, well, my brother who's on the board with me, blah, blah, blah. They're not going to say that kind of stuff to you. So so it's it's very important that it's a delicate kind of conversation. And then you yourself as a nonprofit person, put forward your best foot. You say what you think you need, because the other thing that makes a donor uncomfortable is if you have a huge laundry list and treat them like a transaction, ask them what, what you think that they're going to, they want to fund. Um, they don't really want to be the ones, even if they're campaigner or launcher funders, they're not going to want to be the ones to feel like they're directing you that way. Um, they're going to be like, well, what's, what do you care about? And how much money do you need? You know, so there's a delicate dance there <clears throat> and acting them like they're a transaction doesn't work. Um, most, almost never. I can't imagine. I mean, it's never worked for any of the folks I work with. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's people that do that really well, where they bring you in, they keep conversation. Um, and then there's others that just sort of hit you really hard with a list. And those folks are not very successful fundraisers. So um, from, from your experience, um, is there a question that you think that someone asks you um, early on that you, you usually can say, hey, they're on the ball. Is there a question, one question? Yeah, well, I, I didn't say one, where? but I'm saying the top question, where you, usually somebody is like, you can tell that they really- Yes, kind of, so, definitely. So tell, Thank you for asking yeah, that. Yeah, what do you think it is? It's, it is, Sybil, we have this big issue we're working on right now even if they're a sustainer funder, this works. Big issue we're working on right now and we're trying to figure out solutions. We want to lay the idea out to you and we'd love to have your thoughts. And are there any people you're working with who might want to come in on a conversation directly as well? Perfect question. When people start off the conversation that way, I'm like, okay, they know what they're doing. So it's starting out where it's like, still the nonprofit's the lead. They're talking about what they care about, but they're leading with, Here's our issue. Let's problem solve this together. And in the end, they always ask, which they should, you know, can we raise money for or I'll bring it up. If it's something that, I mean, I want to give money away. <laughs> That's the thing is I'm not holding back. Um, I love conversations where it's like clicking on all cylinders. I know that I've got it, either one or two clients or three clients that want to fund this. 
oh, it's the best conversation ever. So yeah. I love that. Um, I love that. And I, t- I tell you, it would take some, it sounds like such a simple question, but I think the way that people pitch is so significantly different than that, that you, they'd have to get used to saying it out loud and practicing it. And, but I agree with you because, and the other thing I really like about what you're saying is, um, you know, I'll use the word well in fundraising, the person who talks the most is usually the one who, you know, they're giving the most information out and therefore they run the biggest risk of losing, so to speak. So if you, you know, think about when you go to like the worst type of salespeople or car dealers, used car dealers, right? Oh my God, yeah. Right. And, uh-huh. and the symbolism there is when you go in there and, and they start telling you every feature and everything about that car. Like you go in there and they say to you, uh, oh, I have this car and it goes 170 miles per hour. And it does this and this and this. You're like, I don't want a car that goes 170 miles per hour, right? Uh, You know, the example. So who's giving out the most information? The salesperson is, and he didn't ask. That's the biggest problem with car dealers. They don't say, so why are you here today? What do you look for in a car? So that's why questions are so powerful. Agreed? I love that. Yep, totally. And um, yeah, and, and this, this also links to the, the other two pieces, I think, I, this conversation, the last two of the five recommendations I have. So the last two are um, really with being sort of more empathetic, it's getting that ideal person for your organization that you want to have funding your organization and really focus on that ideal person. And this is something that I've been trained as an entrepreneur to do with sort of my ideal customer. But as a nonprofit person, when I was in the nonprofit world, nobody ever really talked with me about it. I think that's changing now, but I just wanted to have that as a reminder. And I love the title of your podcast, which is sort of similar to that, the crossover. Um, and, it, and, and I think that if a, if a nonprofit board had a real conversation about both whether they want to focus more on sustainer campaigner or launcher funders, because depending on the group, they might be built one way or the other, but then also really to like tailor your asks, your publications, your information specifically to one ideal donor. Um, and then the others might come as well, but I think that that allows you to actually really leverage a lot more money. Um, because when I read materials too often, it's almost like it's Muzak. You you know, Muzak, like you're in the elevator and like it's music everyone's supposed to like, but the elevator music, like everyone hates it. Um, or it's not that they hate it. They're like yawner, you know? So that's why a lot of times I look at websites or annual reports. I'm like, I know this group is doing awesome stuff, but it's just not showing up here because they're trying to talk to everybody. So that's, that's the piece about empathetic. And then the last piece that I wanted to make sure, the fifth one, is really to talk about your work from a place of abundance and to talk about it in a way that you, I know, you, I know as a nonprofit person, you've got a strategic plan and a specific thing that you need to raise money for. But what I find the best fundraisers, the ones that get the most money from my clients, they're the ones that will talk about overall what their group's doing and the key things, they'll be hooked into the kind of donor that they're talking to. 
And they'll say, okay, so here are the things we're doing, but here are the things we want to do. Here's our vision. Here's the hurdles that are standing in the way of us getting even more done. And sometimes you can actually raise even more money um, if you do that. If you're not always talking about, here are all the problems, here's all the things, and, and I don't know, and, and none of us are getting along, and if we collaborate with other people, then we're not going to get the money enough, and da, da, da. That's not true. You collaborate more. You have big vision. You know, the old saying, if they build it, they'll come. It, it, it really is true. Like, when there's um, a person who has big vision and who's pushing things forward, they will get a lot more energy from donors an interest. And it's a place of plenty where I come from in terms of giving money away. It's not really a place. I'm not really thinking about how small amounts of money I can give. I'm thinking about how can I lean in? How can I help you succeed? And so if you talk to me from a place of abundance, that's key. So just real quick to recap the five, um, the five key things. The first is to be really clear. um, And that's whether it's a sustainer, campaigner, or launcher donor you're talking to. The second is to be relevant, is to really look at the news and everything else and take that time to connect the dots for donors. The next one is to be uh, empathetic and to really have that ideal person in your mind of who you're talking to. And the last piece is to be plentiful and talk from a place of abundance. I hope I got all five there. Yeah, yeah. Good. Yeah. What do you think the hardest part of actually implementing this is? Oh, there's so many pieces that are hard. And I, my heart goes out to everybody who's trying so hard. Um, <clears throat> I think the hardest, the hardest part is probably if you're a small or medium-sized nonprofit, you're doing everything. I mean, you don't have a big development arm. Um, you probably have a, a fair, fair amount of staff turnover, Um, an executive director in those positions too, it's hard. So executive directors tend to turn over every five to five to eight years. Um, so as a board member too, it's tough. So creating, keeping that, um, long-term institutional memory of the donors and donors, a lot of times connect with staff individually. Um, and if it's a really good staff person and your work and it's a small, medium nonprofit, that person might get recruited by a larger nonprofit. So I think that's the toughest is how do you keep that institutional memory and those relationships alive over many years? And um, to me, I've seen to, people do it really well when there's a strong, vibrant, committed board. So even if there is staff turnover or an executive director turnover, um, if the board's vibrant and strong and lean in right away to what's going on, that's a, he, a huge thing. So that's a whole nother conversation. I think we might have to have another podcast Yeah, because <laughs> you're sparking all these fun thoughts for me. Well, the, the <laughs> thought that came to me is uh, sustainability for like, yes. if you have turnover over five to eight years with the executive director, that if you if you build this this five, uh, five word process um, into, you know, your CRM system, if you have everybody talking the same language at your organization, that when someone else takes over, it'll flow right into it. And, you know, it's really would help the next person. You're all talking about the same languages, you're sending out the right communications. I mean, what, what we're really doing talking about here is you know, streamlining your organization so it's extremely effective in the, yep. on, the, on the fundraising side, 
right? Yep. Um, yep. And and then maybe there needs to be a separate model for the operational side. But you got it. Yeah. But as yep. as an executive director, I can I can really see what you're talking about. Yeah, and um, just so you, just so you know, I'm I've decided that I'm creating an additional course just for nonprofits, all about this, because <clears throat> the crack the code course you talked about earlier, that's focused on supporting donors to give their money away effectively, and I realized that I really wanted to support nonprofits too to help them create this streamlined piece, which is why I created these five points, and so I'm launching that in the, this fall. So, um, and people can find out about that on my www.doyourgood.com uh, website pretty soon. <laughs> yeah. Is, is the five points, is, is there a, a name for the, the methodology that you're talking about? Oh, I love you're asking that. I don't have a name yet. Oh. I got to create it. <laughs> I'll call the Sybil or something, you know. Oh, I love it. <laughs> um, I will, I'll mull on that. That's, I, see, this yeah. is why I rely on these wonderful podcast interviews for new ideas. Yeah, you have to see <laughs> if the first letter of each one of them makes an acronym. Uh, oh, totally. Yeah, totally. That way, that way it makes it easier. Uh, well, listen, yeah. this good conversation. Very thought provoking. Um, I, you know, that's, you know, that's all the time we have for today, but we did cover the subject yeah. matter really, really well. I'd like to thank so very much Sybil Ackerman Munson from Do Your Good LLC for coming on to today's podcast. If you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. If you liked today's podcast, please uh, give us a review on your podcasting app to help us get the word out. And of course, if you're looking for a line of credit for your nonprofit, you can call us at 862 207 4118 or visit our website at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. Sybil, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? Oh, yeah. Great. <clears throat> Great. Excuse me. Um, so definitely do your good is the key or my name, Sybil Ackerman Munson. So on Instagram, I'm at the handle do your good. Same with Facebook. And I have a podcast myself. So you can find me on most of the streaming podcast channels. And then the website has everything at www.doyourgood.com. And it's been a delight. Thank you for having me today. Well, thanks, Sybil. It was great to have you on as well. Um, so I want to thank all of our listeners out there. Uh, you guys are all doing the hard work out there. I say this at the end of every podcast. Uh, we all have to do our part. You guys are doing more than your share of your part. And, uh, and us, uh, me, Sybil, we all need to do uh, more. And so I want to thank everybody out there for listening today. Please get out there, smell the roses a little bit. Um, it's still great weather and uh, we'll, we'll have uh, another podcast coming up shortly. All right, everybody have a great day.